Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Virginia Allen. So Lauren, we are kicking off the show a little bit differently today. I think it's important to begin today's episode by pausing to remember the men and women who lost their lives on September 11th and the men and women who sacrificed their lives for our country in the years that followed. You know, I, I think it's really interesting how that day, September 11, 2001, is a day that all Americans who are alive at the time really remember in such vivid detail. I mean, I was only in third grade at the time, uh, and I, I really didn't understand the weight of what had just happened, but I still remember exactly where I was when I found out, which ironically was uh, at a picnic on a lake in New Hampshire, probably one of the most idealistic places to learn of, of such tragedy that would change our world for forever. But it's just kind of wild how that day is like so marked in our minds. Lauren, what do you remember from that day? So I was in the fifth grade uh, and down in Florida, we had been in school for, you know, about a month at that point. And they weren't telling the elementary school students what happened. But, you know, being in the fifth grade, we kind of figured stuff out. Um, and it was really weird that that we were kind of old enough to understand the gravity of what happened, but they weren't telling us anything. So I think it, we were all just anxious to get home and kind of see, like, like, what is a terrorist attack? It was just a lot of questions. And I remember the unknown made it really scary. And, you know, being in Jacksonville, Florida, we were like, are they going to come for us next? But yeah, it was, it was just really heavy. But I think what sticks out to me more is like the next day we were all singing God Bless America on the bus. Like people really came together as Americans and really, I think it humbled people in a way that I haven't seen since. Yeah, Lauren, no, I mean, it's incredible to remember how we did really come together as a country. Um, and I think, you know, in in the wake of just remembering everything that happened, it is important that every year we pause and we take some time uh, to honor the 2,977 people who died that day, uh, who lost their lives at the World Trade Centers, the Pentagon, and in one of the four airplanes. And I really try every year just to take a little bit of time to remember what we as a nation experienced that day, to remember also the cost of freedom. And uh, we certainly encourage you all to do the same, whether maybe that's taking a little bit of time to watch some YouTube videos from September 11th, from the news coverage that day, uh, or to just reflect on your own memories. It's it's a day that we as a nation never will, nor should we forget. Yeah, Virginia, I think it, it seems odd. You know, we're only 19 years away and, you know, never forget. It's like, of course we can't forget, but you have to think about it as, you know, hopefully one day we'll have children and grandchildren and you want to be able to pass down the memories and, and kind of share the American story firsthand uh, with those folks. Uh, one thing in Heritage we've been encouraged to do each year at Heritage, we take a moment of silence. And even though we're all remote, um, Mrs. James, our president, has recommended that we take a moment of silence this Friday uh, at 937 a.m. That's the time when the terrorists seared American Airlines Flight 77 into the Pentagon. So I just wanted to invite all our listeners, you know, if, if you're unsure of kind of how to remember or, you know, how to, to really honor this, that's one, you know, easy thing you can do there. Yeah, thanks for mentioning that, Lauren. Well, certainly um, kind of hard to transition from uh, talking about September 11th onto the rest of the show, but we do have a really, really great show planned for you all today that we're super excited to dive into. So, uh, Lauren, give us the rundown. What do we have queued up for today's show? 
So definitely a light show today. We welcome Diamond and Silk to the show, always hilarious, for an honest conversation about race relations in America. Plus, we take a moment to discuss the new Mulan movie and controversy over Disney thanking Chinese institutions that are directly linked to carrying out human rights abuses in China. And we talk with journalist Alessandra Boki, the winner of the 2020 Joseph Rago Memorial Fellowship for Excellence in Journalism, about her experiences reporting the news around the world. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. We are so pleased to be joined by two truly problematic women, Diamond and Silk. Ladies, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having us. us. Well, a huge congratulations to both of you on your brand new book, Uprising. Who the hell said you can't ditch and switch the awakening of Diamond and Silk? For those who are not familiar with your story, can you just tell us a little bit about how you all came to be two very loud and proud conservative voices? (laughs) Well, I, I don't know. We've always probably been loud. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was, you know, we was looking at the political field. Back in 2015, a candidate was running. We liked everything uh, he was talking about because he was a businessman. And we just started speaking out about, you know, what we liked and, what, and the things that we didn't like that was happening in our country. And then that just snowballed into what you see today. What are you all most excited about for people to learn about you all when they pick up this book and read it? That we're really real. A lot of people think it's a uh, persona. It's not. This is us. From from sunup to sundown. You know, when you look at some of these people on TV, you know, they have to, they get paid millions to, 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 to have a presence, a persona. You know, a character. Right. We don't have to jump into character because we we've always been ourselves. You know, we've we've never stopped being ourselves. And I think it's an amazing thing when you can wake up, be yourself, do what you do, be yourself without being uh, uh, making apologies for being yourself. Some people can't do that. Yeah. No, I think people really appreciate that about you all is you are so real. When you all decided to get involved in kind of the political scene to start speaking out, were you all surprised by the response that you received? We were very surprised because remember we only had ten people on our YouTube channel. So we didn't know we didn't know all of these people were going to hear us. That was one. We was equally surprised that you had those that love it, but you had those that didn't like it. And so those were the ones we had to educate. So if anybody, if they threw hate, what we did, we educated them is what we did. And that's still what you're doing today. You're still educating. You're still speaking out. But now you have this 
very large uh, following and platform. What has that been like to, you know, go from having those 10 followers to all of a sudden uh, you have this massive following and now a book? Well, oh, God, the journey has been <laughs> a joy. And Incredible. we are humbled by it. It, God, God ordered all of this. He ordered our steps, and, and he led and guided us in the right direction like he continues to do. So all we can say is the journey has been amazing. Um, if you ever want to make God laugh, tell him your plans, because we had plans for none of this, and look at what happened. But understand this here. When you give of your time, your service, your voice, Without expecting anything in return, the return comes tenfold without you even realizing what's going on. So so you, you ask the question like this here, are you a giver or a taker? And let me explain to you the difference. A giver gives without expecting anything in return. A taker gives and always expects something in return. When we started this, we wasn't expecting anything in return. We just knew that we wanted change, immediate change, drastic change. And look. That's right. I can also interject just say that the journey has also been authentic. We didn't try to make anything happen. We just let it happen. And here we are today. Here you are with this awesome new book, Uprising, Who the Hell Said You Can't Ditch and Switch. Ladies, we are at such a critical moment in history right now. Uh, you know, uh, America is is really wrestling with racial injustice. As a nation, do you all believe that we are suffering from systemic racism? Well, first of all, is it racial injustice? And when you talk about systematic racism, is it really racism? Because systematic racism is really a form of discrimination. So is it really systematic racism? It should be called systematic discrimination because anybody can face that, whether you white, whether you black, whether you pinstripe, polka dot, or plaid. That's what I want people to understand. And that's discrimination within the systems, whether it's political, whether it's educational. It is uh, 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 the constructs of the system is allowed to discriminate against certain people. Let's look at affirmative action. That's a form of discrimination. That's a form of systemic racism. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Don't have anything to do with your skin color. So Mm -hmm. do systemic racism exist? When you start looking at the constructs of the system and how these white left-leaning liberals set them up, because who owns most of the media? Who owns Hollywood? Who owns a lot of these systems that if you don't believe in their ideology, you can't even get your feet in the door? So, yes, there there is a such thing as systematic, we call it discrimination, because it don't have anything to do with your race, mm-hmm. because anybody can experience that type of discrimination. So let's talk for a moment about Black Lives Matter, the, the organization. We can all agree 100% Black Lives Matter. Yes. Mm-hmm. Let's talk, though, specifically about the organization. Do you all think the way in which Black Lives Matter is advocating for Black Americans is working? Okay, so let me say this here. We believe that Black Lives Matter. We believe all lives matter. Let's get that straight. But when you look at this or propaganda organization, 
that is pumping, that, that you have people out in the streets pumping their fists to, that want to disrupt and dismantle the nuclear family. So what they're really saying is that they don't want to see a mother and a father in the household or a black child don't deserve that. They're pushing this Marxism, which is a sign of socialism and communism. It is the most craziest thing. Now, this particular organization, if it truly cared about black lives, the hundreds of millions of dollars that's been taken in, where does that money go to? Is it going to a black life? Is it going That's to right. build up a black community? Is it going to some of these black businesses that was burnt down in the riots because of the uh, uh, because of what happened to George Floyd? So mm-hmm. think about that for a minute. So no, 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 no. I don't believe in this particular organization. And what baffles and bothers us is why are corporations pumping tens of millions of dollars into this organization that wants to disrupt and dismantle the nuclear family that's pushing socialism and communism that's okay with with people out here committing crimes and criminalities like rioting and, and stuff like that that, that, so, uh, no, this organization does not speak for black people. It's a propaganda organization, and it's not even being ran by black people, if you really want my humble opinion. It's my opinion. I'll that's right. But, black, but you have black, black lives that's being used as a pawn to push a white lip agenda. What needs to change? What would you all like to see shift whether it's you know shift at at black lives matter or you know what do you want it's to see maybe from black a new lives organization matter. let me tell you what yeah. let me tell you what needs to change in our country we need equal is what we need see back in the 60s they was fighting for civil rights okay and in my mind i'm like why wasn't they just fighting for equal rights yeah but you had lyndon b johnson He wanted to give them enough to keep them quiet, but not enough to make a difference. You Mm -hmm. see what I'm talking about? So what black people did back in the 60s, they just took the little crumbs of civil rights. Mm -hmm. We don't need a a certain different rights than the rest of America. What it needs to be is an equal playing field across across the playing field. If you go to a bank as a white woman and you can get a loan, for a house with the same credit score as me as a black woman, I should be able to walk up in that same bank and do the same thing that you can do. So it needs to be fair and equal. All of this extra, I need this because for my community. I need that for my community. Listen, we stay in the greatest country on earth. This is the land of the free, the home of the brave. So we got to be brave enough. Wait a minute, you all. Drop the skin color. We are Americans. We're one race. That's the human race. We are Americans, and we are treated equally around here. Then, therefore, you won't have all of these groups. We need this. Well, we need that. Well, we're not getting that. Well, we're not getting that. Because usually what you do is you segregate yourself. So when you look at Black Lives Matter, I look at that as a a racist organization for the simple fact. You don't see white people walking around here talking about White Lives Matter. And if you did, they would be calling them racist. So we need to stop segregating ourselves based off the color of our skin and realize that we're all Americans and there's only one race. 
and that's a human race. We're so pleased to be talking with Diamond and Silk, authors of the brand new book, Uprising, Who the Hell Said You Can't Ditch and Switch. Wow. And ladies, I think that is, it's so, so critical right now uh, in our nation to bring that message of unity. So thank you all for so boldly speaking out uh, on that message. I, I want to pivot and just ask a little bit. Uh, about education and what we're seeing in our schools right now. Kids are going back to school, albeit many of them online, uh, and there is a conversation about history and changing the way we teach history to our children in schools. What do you all think about this? I don't, th- I don't think that they should dismantle our history. Don't tear it down. Don't get rid of it. Don't burn the books. I think that history should be taught, including black history. I think that people should know how things started and where things come from and why, if we get rid of this, it's doomed to repeat itself. See, I watch them. They tear down the statues. They're upset with a white statue that can't feed you, can't clothe you, can't give you a job, right? And then you want to say, oh, we don't need to teach this. No, people need to know where we come from, Mm -hmm. everybody come from, so we won't be doomed what we've been through so we won't be doomed to repeat it. So I'm for keeping history in the school and not dismantling it or getting rid of it because some feel uncomfortable with it. This is the past. This is what happened. This is why we're teaching it because we don't want this to happen again. But if you take it away from these young people that's out here in the street being anti-America, imagine what our country is going to look like within the next 10 years. Because they don't know no better. They don't know no better. They don't know. They they only lived here where they was born free. They were born free in this country. You don't know nothing about no communism and no socialism. You got a cell phone. Listen, when we were coming up, we didn't have no cell phone. I think what it was, we had pages. Remember the pages, Silk? <laughs> we didn't have no cell phones. You got something, a small gadget, where you can call somebody on the other side of the world. That's freedom. That's freedom. Walk outside and do what you want to. That's freedom. You don't know nothing about living in no other country. What's greater? What's greater than this country? I always say this. When people from Cuba and Venezuela come to this country, they come to this country because they have somewhere to run to. If we allow these left-leaning liberals, these radicals, to teach this ideology of hating this country to our young people, where are we going to run to? We stay in the greatest country on earth. Where are we going to run to? And that's why it's imperative. I'm for school choice. I'm not for these teachers teaching this radicalism about hating the flag and hating this country when we're the greatest country on earth. And this is all these young people know. They ain't never been no slave. You weren't born into slavery. You're free over here. You're not an illegal alien. That's right. You are free. That's what they need to know. The New York Times 1619 project has already been adopted by a number of schools across the country. Are you all concerned by how quickly it seems like so many Americans are willing to just embrace this new narrative that has been put forth that essentially cancels the founders? 
are they embracing it or are they being bullied into it? Mm. Think about it. Think about it for a minute. When a bully bullies somebody, the person that's being bullied don't like it. And oftentimes the person that's being bullied will become the bully to keep from being bullied. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah. <laughs> are, they, are, are they being bullied into this? Or are they really going along with it? That's a question you need to ask yourself. Well, and in some ways that's scarier. It's very scary. It's very scary. And that's why if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And that's why you and that's can't part of tyranny as well. That's, that's part, right. part of tyranny and dictatorship. When you look at and, and that's why you can't convince two two black chicks like Diamond and Silk who's down with politics to just go along with anything to get along. Some people just go along to get along, knowing darn well it's not right. Don't well, cancel our history. Don't cancel our forefathers. We need to know where we come from, where this country been, so it won't be doomed to repeat itself. But you got to also realize that the Democrat Party has a nasty, racist past. Well, really, let's call it the left. Let's not even talk about the party. Let's call it the left. Because some of these people have an ideology where they literally want to destroy our country. Mm -hmm. No, 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 we can't let that happen. Well, you mentioned that that past, that, that history. Do you mind just explaining that for a minute? Well, when you look at our history, where we've been through, you know, I don't want to put politics in it, but the the, the main thing that they do in this country is they try to depict and divide us with race, and they always bring it up slavery, and they always claim, well, we need something, we need reparations and this and that, not telling the whole truth, meaning how did we get sold, how did our ancestors get sold into slavery? It was the black man that sold the black man into slavery. But when you leave crucial parts out about history and you have one narrative that you push to get people to react and respond a certain way, you do a disservice to everybody. Because first of all, you started the narrative off with the lie. I have truth. You didn't tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth about it. Especially See, that's why if you we have can't one get... side pushing the narrative. That's mm-hmm. right. And everybody being bullied into going all along with the narrative. You know, that's what the media do, too. You mentioned New York Times. That's part of the media. So that's it's not right. surprising. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that you all are very much not alone in the African-American community as far as having very conservative views. But, you know, I, I think some people are just scared to speak up. They, they've been bullied to actually uh, be afraid to share their own opinions. What are you all hearing uh, from other African-Americans uh, right now in regards to, you know, the direction of the nation? Are, are they pleased with where things are going, where things are headed? Well, I'm going to tell you this, what we're hearing. The stuff that you see happening in the streets, especially when it pertains to black Americans looting and committing criminality, the majority of black Americans don't, Americans don't agree with that. They don't go along with it. They're not pumping their fist to a, a Black Lives Matter organization. They're not. The one thing that they understand is that for the past four years, they've been able to experience prosperity, peace, 
uh, 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 low unemployment, high home ownership, and other things, uh, 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 given a second chance through the First Step Act and things of that nature. They don't want to go to anarchy and disruption and all of this chaos and this confusion. So a lot of people, people of color, don't go along with this foolishness. But let me just tell you something. Back in 2015, it took two black women, Diamond and Silk, we spoke out and how we felt. That's right. And the more they hate, the more we continue to educate. And now we have given people the permission to speak out, have the courage to speak out. And if you look, you notice, you're starting to see people stepping up and speak out. That's right. They're not staying silent anymore. And the ones that are staying silent, they may have to do that because of their job or because they don't want to get ostracized, criticized, or vilified. You know, and we understand that. But for the ones that have the courage to do, bless you. Ladies, there's one final question I have to ask you. We love to ask everyone who comes on this show whether or not they consider themselves to be a feminist. I'm going to tell you like this here. I'm not going to take and I'm not going to label myself. I'm going to label myself. I'm an American that loves America. But I want you to understand something. I also love our men. And our men can't fly with one wing. So I don't like when they try to take and they demonize and feminize our men and throw them in the closet as if women, we can take it on and handle everything. We need our men. So I'm not going to label myself as a feminist. I'm an American that loves this country and love our flag. Amen to that. I second all of that. <laughs> That's great. Great answer. Thank you all so much. The book is Uprising, Who the Hell Said You Can't Ditch and Switch, The Awakening of Diamond and Silk. You can get it wherever books are sold. We'll be sure to put a link in today's show notes so you can order your copy. Diamond and Silk, thank you all for being here. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Stay tuned because in just a moment, Lauren and I will be breaking down the controversy over Disney's Mulan. But first, I don't know about you all, but YouTube is certainly one of my guilty pleasures. I really enjoy watching short videos on a variety of topics, so I'm always looking for videos that are actually beneficial and educational to me in some way. And the Daily Signal YouTube channel never disappoints. There is so much binge-worthy content from policy and news explainers to documentaries. So if you're not driving, go ahead and pull out your phone and subscribe to the Daily Signal YouTube channel so you can be in the know on all the issues you care about the most. Disney's long-awaited live-action Mulan was released for streaming on Disney Plus on September 4th. The movie was originally slated to premiere in theaters on March 27th, but was delayed because of COVID. Very few new movies have been released recently because of the pandemic, so many Americans sat down on their couch to watch Mulan over the holiday weekend. But following the movie's release, the hashtag boycott Mulan was all over Twitter, and not just because the movie has received harsh reviews from both critics and viewers. Criticism for the film first began when the movie's lead actress, Liao Fei, spoke out in support of 
the Hong Kong police who have brutally attacked protesters. Now, criticism is also focused around the movie's credits. Yes, the credits. So you all may remember that back in July, we spoke on the show with Heritage's Olivia Enos about the human rights abuses of Uyghur people in China, and specifically the forced sterilization of Uyghur women. Uyghurs are a Muslim minority population living in the northwest region of China, known as Xinjiang. Over a million Chinese Muslims have been taken to re-education camps where they are tortured, indoctrinated, and sterilized. Over the weekend, moviegoers began to notice that the end credits of Mulan offer a special thank you to eight different government entities in Xinjiang, including the Public Security Bureau in the city of Tupan, where China is believed to operate multiple re-education camps, which are pretty much just concentration camps. Also on the thank you list is the publicity department of CPC Xinjiang Uyghurs Autonomy Region Committee, which is responsible for spreading Chinese propaganda in the region. A number of scenes in the movie were also filmed in China's Xinjiang province, where these human rights abuses are believed to be carried out. Lauren, America has been placing sanctions on China in part because of these growing human rights abuses. And now Disney is essentially playing nice with China, with these very people who are carrying out these human rights abuses. What do you think this says about Disney? I think it, it just shows that all they care about is money and, and profits and Obviously, like Disney Plus and all these Disney kind of movies and, and Disney Channel shows, and they're just moving more and more to the left every day. And they want to claim social justice and they want to claim, you know, being this force for good. Well, you know, they're in China and the Chinese market has been going to the movies way more than Americans have in the recent future. So, you know, they're willing to overlook these like terrible things that are being done to people just to increase their profits. And so and all the while, I mean, I watched College Game Day last Saturday and it was I mean, a three-hour social justice show. And it's just really frustrating that also on the, the right, we hate to see these atrocities happen and we want to speak up against the Chinese government. And then at home, we're being called racist for, you know, not putting our fist up for, for Black Lives Matter. So uh, it's just more of this social justice kind of like so hypocritical. And I'm glad people are calling Disney out. And I also like that the movie is terrible. And so I have no, absolutely no <laughs> desire to see it. Yeah, Lauren, it certainly is a double standard. Uh, I think when <laughs> when you have, you know, this huge push for, you know, racial equality and gender equality, and yet you're literally, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> really rubbing shoulders and saying thank you to those who are uh, carrying out such atrocities against entire people groups, it's it's tragic. And I think uh, the double standard of Disney is highlighted even more so in the fact that when Georgia was uh, discussing the heartbeat bill, which is essentially a law that would ban abortion after a heartbeat is detected in an unborn baby, you know, Disney said, well, you know, we're not going to produce movies in Georgia anymore. <laughs> so it's like they put their foot down on that. But yet they'll gladly film a movie in a country uh, where, you know, millions of people are essentially being housed in concentration camps and sterilized and killed. And it's certainly a little bit unnerving. Yeah. 
Well, I don't want to leave our listeners without anything to watch this weekend. And actually, last night, I was up until 1.30 in the morning <laughs> watching this great show. And believe it or not, it's from Netflix, but it's called Away. It's starring Hilary Swank, and she's an astronaut who goes to Mars. And it's going to take her three years. And she goes and leaves her teenage daughter and her husband at home. And I don't want to give too many spoilers away, but I was so surprised. And I, I finished it uh, the first season that they're, one of the astronauts is, who's on the spaceship with her is a Orthodox Jew. And he, throughout the show, will, will pray for folks. And, I, you know, it's Netflix. So I keep being more like, let's wait for the other shoe to drop. That, you know, he totally loses his faith in God. But no, like, throughout the show, as things get harder and harder, the other astronauts start asking him to pray for him. And kind of it goes through his faith journey with his mom. And it's a show that isn't, you know, too sexually explicit. It isn't you know, to, there's not a ton of violence, but it's still interesting and it still has a really great emotional story to it. I think even, you know, the men out there, they like the, the science fiction part of it. I started and I was kind of surprised with how much I liked it. So I would definitely 10 out of 10 recommend instead of watching Mulan this weekend, start the show away on Netflix. All right. I'll add it to my list. I've never even heard of it. It sounds great, Lauren. Thanks for mentioning that. All right, well, stay with us because in just a moment, we're going to welcome a journalist who has reported on China and the situation in Hong Kong, Alessandra Boki, the winner of the 2020 Joseph Regu Memorial Fellowship. We are excited to welcome Alessandra Boki, the 2020 Joseph Rego Memorial Fellowship for Excellence in Journalism. Alessandra, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. First off, congratulations on earning this prestigious fellowship. You will be working with some of the best journalists at the Wall Street Journal for nine months. Can you tell us a little bit about where your passion for journalism began? Yes. So I started uh, working in journalism when, as soon as I finished my master's degree, I had studied political philosophy. So I had the choice to either pursue an academic uh, path or do something else. And I figured journalism was something that could, you know, that I could uh, give something to in, in the sense that I really liked uh, following the news and knowing what was going on in current affairs. Uh, I also like reading about history. So it just made sense for me at that time. And I did this training program in London. I was studying in London at the time. And then there, this was 2016. There, were, there was a wave of uh, terrorism in, in Europe, uh, Islamist terrorist attacks specifically. And so I w there was a lot of controversy and debate surrounding the Islamic world, uh, surrounding the Islamic faith, uh, Muslim communities. So I was interested in knowing more and firsthand uh, what, you know, the debate was about. And so I decided to apply for uh, just some internships at uh, newspapers in the Middle East and North Africa. And I was accepted uh, in Tunisia and I went there. I was supposed to stay there just a month, but then I ended up uh, staying there for a year and I worked for various newspapers uh, there. And that's where I really learned how to do journalism, just like by being on the ground and like not really being in my comfort zone. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible to totally be thrown outside of your comfort zone into a new culture and you're reporting on the news. 
What for you personally have you maybe found to be one of the most engaging or challenging stories that you've covered so far in your career? There are a few, but the ones that I was most fascinated with are the ones that when I started working uh, in the Arab world, just because there were so many issues that were taboo. And given um, the you know topic of this podcast as well about conservative women, uh, I was interested in knowing how women were treated uh, in the Islamic world, uh, because this was a debate that was going on in Europe that, you know, Muslim communities didn't respect women, didn't respect European or Western customs um, uh, on women and women's rights. So I wanted to find out what that was really about. And there, it was a very taboo issue in the Islamic world. Um, even in a liberal, more liberal country where I was living. And so I went on the ground and I talked to uh, these Muslim women, whether they were, you know, very uh, devout Muslims or more liberal. And um, I got to know some really uh, interesting things. Uh, So that was like the work that I think I'm most proud of, uh, really, in the Arab world, I would say. So America's been watching the unrest uh unfold over in Hong Kong very closely over the past several months. You've been reporting on what's happening over there. Can you share your thoughts on what the future may hold for Hong Kong? Yes, it's a very bleak future in my view. I would say going back to your uh, question before, my work on Hong Kong was also um, where I learned uh, so much. You know, I was never really on the front lines um, during... uh, a conflict. So uh, it was, you know, I learned about also their perception of China and how it's much more, they're much more aware of the threat that China poses, uh, especially now that it's rising as a, an imperial power, than uh, I would say much of the Western world is. And Hong Kong's future is at the moment, there are uh, poor hopes. Uh, of, you know, maintaining their independence, uh, legal independence and just regional autonomy from China that they had agreed with with this uh, uh, Chinese-British declaration in 1997. So this was a declaration that China had subscribed to and said that they would respect and they didn't. Um, and But there is nobody really coming to Hong Kong's defense, unfortunately. Wow. Well, and you, you have had this incredible experience of... Um, not only reporting from different countries, but actually working for, you know, Arab, Italian, and, and American newspapers. What has been your experience as far as, as the difference in the way that those various countries report the news? Is there a sharp contrast in the way that they view news reporting? Oh, wow. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I would say that in the Arab world, I was, I, you know, I kind of, woke up immediately to how propaganda worked because most of the most Arab newspapers and these are excellent newspapers that write in English that are read throughout the Western world. Al Jazeera is one example, but there are many others. They're funded by Arab Gulf countries and they all have their own interests and they all have an agenda to pursue. And so I couldn't say certain things when I was reporting for one paper or another. Um, they didn't really allow that much freedom of expression in that respect. Uh, whereas in Italy, where I'm from, there's just a different approach to news. There's not so much investigative journalism. Um, and there's not like it's not really based on 
substantiating arguments with empirical evidence. There's a lot of like commentary and, um, you know, people expressing their opinions. So I was like kind of frustrated with that when I was working in Italy. Um, and like I really respect the Anglo-Saxon tradition to uh, with respect to journalism. And that's the approach that I try to take in my work as well. So can you tell us a little bit more about your fellowship and, you know, what you will be covering for the Wall Street Journal? Uh, Yes. So I will be working at the opinion page of the Wall Street Journal and I'll be editing uh, pieces that other contributors have pitched the newspaper or doing the fact checking and um, hopefully also writing as well. Uh, With regards to coverage, my main area of, uh, you know, uh, expertise, I guess, is uh, foreign policy, even with regards to the United States. So, and I focused a lot on China recently because of the Hong Kong protests, uh, but also uh, U.S. relations with Europe, where I'm from. So, those are the areas I'm most interested in, as well as the Arab world as well, where I first started working. But I'm like very flexible, and I'm open to covering any issue. Yeah, it sounds like you have a, a busy nine months ahead of you. Uh, it's exciting, though, to be on the forefront of those massive issues that really the whole world is facing. As you've kind of walked through your journalism career, what are the best pieces of journalistic advice that you've received that has been really helpful for you? Well, so I had just exit, like I had just left university. So I had just left the academic world and I was used to expressing myself in like in a very kind of academic and, you know, sort of dense in a way, um, way of expressing like certain arguments or, um, you know, your opinions. And when you enter journalism, it's really about making it as interesting as possible for the readers and trying to uh, make also complex issues sound simple. So the best advice I received was to, like, you have to explain something so that somebody who knows nothing about this issue can learn something new. That's the whole point, in my view, because otherwise, why are you, you, you pursuing this profession, right? It's, uh, in a way, like, your responsibility is to try and inform the public, and it's your kind of obligation to try to make that as um, simple as possible for them, which doesn't mean like dumbing down uh, certain issues, but it does mean like uh, expressing in a way that is comprehensible and not really technical. So uh, that was like, a, that's a, I think a hard transition for people coming out of uh, university or college. Um, and also always uh, trying to get perspective from people on the ground. So throughout my work, I've I've sometimes listened to experts, but instead of like trying to get expert opinion from say DC or New York or like people who aren't really there, I try to get in touch with the people who are on the ground, the locals who really know so much about their own culture uh, and in many ways can give you uh, perspectives that are uh, very insightful. That's such a good perspective. That's so healthy. We need more of that in journalism. Yeah. Well, if if someone wants to hear your perspective and follow these really important stories, what is the best way that our listeners can follow your work? Uh, I have a website. It's uh, called alessandrabaki.com. I'm not active on Twitter at the moment, but I think I will be in the future. And, um, you know, I'll be working at the journal, so maybe, like, there will be um, 
there might be pieces under my name in the future. Uh, but my website is where I got, gathered just like the work that I did throughout the years. Alessandra, that's wonderful. We wish you all of the best. Thanks so much for joining the show. Thanks for having me. Do you have an interest in public policy? Do you want to hear some of the biggest names in American politics speak? Every day, the Heritage Foundation hosts webinars called Heritage Events Live. Webinar topics range from ethics during the COVID-19 pandemic to the CARES Act and the economy. These webinars are free and open to the public. To find the latest webinars and register, visit heritage.org events. Now it is that time again, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to Betty Ong and Amy Sweeney. Ong and Sweeney were two of the American Airlines flight attendants on Flight 11 that departed from Boston the morning of September 11th. Their flight was hijacked by terrorists and crashed into the North Tower of the World Trade Centers. Ong and Sweeney both used the phones on the plane to call American Airlines and tell them what was going on. They relayed to the airline the seat numbers of the men who had hijacked the plane and descriptions of who they were. With this information, the names, addresses, and other information, three of the five hijackers were identified 20 minutes before the plane crashed into the World Trade Center. This information gave the FBI a jump on their investigation into who was responsible for the hijacking. The calmness displayed by the flight attendants really is truly incredible. We want to play a clip of Ong's call to American Airlines that morning, right after the hijackers had taken over the aircraft. Now, the clip is a little bit hard to listen to, so uh, we encourage you to skip forward about 90 seconds if you are listening with children. My name is Betty Ong. I'm number three on flight 11. Okay. And the cockpit is not answering their phone. And there's somebody staffed in business class. And there's, we can't breathe in business class. Somebody's got mace or something. Can you describe the person that you said someone is what in business class? Um, I'm, I'm sitting in the back. Somebody's coming back from business. If you can hold on for one second, they're coming back. Wow, that's so powerful. We hope that you all take some time to remember those who lost their lives that day and kind of how this really affected and, and shaped America and continues to shape America. Thanks so much, Lauren. All right, it is time now for our Twitter poll question. So last week, we asked you all uh, about <laughs> the return of the pumpkin spice latte and whether or not it returned too soon. Uh, and nearly 63% of you all <laughs> responded not with the yes or no, but with I only drink real coffee. Lauren, I, I know you were one of those that selected that option. <laughs> We need to start keeping track because I feel like the option that I choose 
<laughs> almost always wins. And no, I was actually thinking about that. I was like, it's always Lauren's answer. I don't know if it's been one of mine yet. Yeah, okay, you pretty much are. <laughs> Well, this week's Twitter poll in reference to the movie Milan, the question is, do politics of actors determine whether or not you watch a movie? The options are yes, no, or depends on how good the movie looks. I feel like this question is a little bit hard because, I mean, gosh, what what could you watch if you always, you know, if you never watched a movie, if you didn't like the actor's politics? Um, hmm, that's a hard one in some ways. I would say nine out of ten, no. But there's a big difference too, Virginia, between uh, you know somebody who is an actor in Hollywood and believes in left wing causes, and also somebody who's actively promoting human atrocities in China. Yeah, that's very true. So maybe we should change the third option to not depends on how good the movie is, but depends on how radical the actor is. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Well, with that, that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you do get your podcast. It really does make a difference. Have a great week. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.